Did you know that on September 15th there will be a live at Manning Rust conference? In one Rust full day you will attend many talks about what's special about Rust, building high-performance web services or video games, about WebAssembly and much more. I already want to be there. But there where? No need to travel? The event is going to be online of course. If you want to meet the tribe, tune in September 15th to the Live at Manning Rust conference. I have added a link to register completely free of charge in the show notes of this episode. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. This is episode number two of uh, a short series about testing in machine learning. Today I'm not alone, I'm with uh, Adam Leon Smith, who's an expert in testing systems. Hi Adam, how are you doing? Hey Francesco, I'm good, thank you. So Adam, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners of uh, Data Science at Home podcast? Sure, so I'm a, a consultant, I'm CTO of a, a consultancy called Dragonfly, where we work on a lot of quality and testing problems relating to AI and machine learning. I'm also chair of the British Computer Society's special interest group in software and systems testing and quite active in, in international standardization work around this field. So I'm very glad you have you on the show because today, uh, this episode, as you know, it's going to be all about testing. And for one simple reason, because testing in machine learning or whenever data science and data is involved is consistently different than um, testing in, you know, traditional software engineering uh, or traditional software. And so today I would like to um, cover with you some of the most challenging uh, uh, tasks uh, about testing in machine learning, starting from uh, using data science to support testing. What can you add about that? Um, quite a lot. I think it's, it's a great topic and it's one that's really, really popular in industry at the moment. There's, there's I think there's five core areas of testing where um, machine learning and other data science techniques can, can help. The first one is generating tests themselves. So uh, using either information from a production environment like logs or using a testing model or even using code coverage as, as the goal, or, or even firing up applications and um, automatically hitting but buttons on them to treat it just as something they're searching. These, all these techniques can be used to generate tests themselves because people don't think about it, but that's obviously quite a lot of work when you're dealing with a complex system, the amount of effort that goes into the intellectual effort in creating tests, but also the legwork in terms of automating them and, and things like that. Typically, these techniques are most effective, um, these test generation techniques are most effective at the system level. So when you're dealing with a deployed, installed system, um, and part, that's partly because the objects that uh, you tend to exchange through the interface are much more simple. Um, it's a lot easier to um, build clicks and, and screens into a model um, than it is to do it other ways. So the other area is around generation of test inputs. And I know we're going to come back to that uh, in a little while, Francesco. Mm -hmm. We also use something called regression mm -hmm. test optimization techniques. So in many systems, you run hundreds and hundreds of tests again and again on each release. And maybe these are automated checks, um, but still there's a compute cost, there's, a, there's an elapsed time cost. 
So one technique is to use uh, inputs from things like source control systems and previous test results in order to prioritize the areas of tests to, to run and the order that you, you run them in, essentially. Adam, do you do you usually have access to the source code for these uh, uh, testing strategies or what are the requirements? Because, you know, I believe that the requirements, you know, as strict as they are, they might make these strategies more or uh, less feasible in uh, in certain scenarios, right? Yeah, but the, the, the thing that we found is that doing it at the um, source code level doesn't work very well because there's quite complex parameters you don't really know what a system is supposed to do from its inner state. You're more able to ascertain um, the behavior of the system from its outer state. And you can't really derive testing goals from um, analyzing code other than really just code coverage, which as we know is, is particularly inappropriate when you're dealing yeah, with ML. 100%. And, uh, and so when it comes to data, in fact, there is a, another dimension uh, that you need to explore and you need to eventually perturb if you're dealing with testing, which is the dimension of data. Uh, how do you connect that to a testing strategy? That can be quite simplistic or it can be quite complex. The, there's a number of uh, techniques. There's combinatorial testing can be linked to the test data to ensure you cover that, that input domain uh, as much as possible. There's test models, which uh, where you build essentially a... Um, a machine readable model of the input data, something richer than a, a schema. Um, but there's lots of different angles. A lot of systems that I work on are extremely data driven. And the main, the main input, even that defines the behavior of the system itself is, is very much the data. But you mentioned a schema. Can you expand on that? What do you mean by schema? Because I believe that data scientists out there thinking schema in terms of a, a let's say a, a, a database schema or you know something that defines the geometry or the data types of particular columns and stuff like that. Is that the same thing that you're mentioning? Well, that's the same as I mean when I talk about a schema, but we work with richer models that bring out more of the semantic value of the data, if you like. So whilst I may know that a data is a string, um, maybe I know it's a certain length in a database example, uh, maybe I need to know that there's actually three possible values that could have, and one of them isn't valid if it's a male. That, that kind of building that, that kind of business knowledge on top of the schema results in a test model of the, the input domain, which you can then use to generate tests using machine learning and, and uh, genetic algorithms as well. Right. So if you mentioned genetic algorithms, of course, that would have been my next question. Um, you, uh, you know, you try to you, you, you design an engine that in fact generates these rules for you right uh, but in the most simplistic case is there a human being actually pulling out these rules out of a of a a magic box or uh, an, a domain expert who forges these rules for you uh, how does that work often the the thing that ai and machine learning can't help with in testing is eliciting the goals of the system from the stakeholders and understanding what they really want um, so there often is a kind of a human element in that process but not always so one system i've worked with before has a lot of the um the business logic and the ui flows kind of configured in in json so you can actually even generate test models from the, the system itself. You have to be careful about the goals of that testing and what it's actually verifying, but that can be a, a huge time saver. So there's, there's a couple of more ways as well that you can use AI and ML to help with uh, testing. So visual test regression using image processing has 
a couple of different use cases. So one, if you just want to run your web app in like a hundred different browser and OS configurations and make sure everything looks okay, it's perfect for that. If you want to test some kind of old .NET desktop Windows-based system and modern, modern tools just don't work with that stuff so well, maybe you want to, rather than use the old style, picking the pixel X and Y coordinates instead of simulating a click on a screen, you can actually use um, image processing and object identification to identify buttons and fields on the screen and, and things like that. Uh, and the last way that you can use, sorry, one more, the last way that you can use data science to support testing is in analysis of issues. Big companies like Microsoft, et cetera, that receive loads and loads of automated bug reports a day, um, you know, you do use uh, things like anomaly detection in there. But also you've got even in development teams, you can use machine learning to recommend the right developer to fix an issue, to spot duplicate issues, to um, spot issues that have been solved in the past. Well, I'm uh, I'm very much uh, excited about the image processing. I believe you can create synthetic user experiences there, right? And, uh, uh, and test your dashboards or your application at the UI level or, or even deeper than that. Yes. You can either you can either use it because you really really care about every pixel on on the screen in different settings and things like that, or you could use it because um, you have a technical problem working with quite old technology, which you probably don't care what it looks like. Well, I should be mentioning synthetic data at this point as a, a testing strategy that is uh, um, quite uh, a new one. Um, well, at least when it comes to uh, certain types of synthetic data uh, and also in that field there are there is a number of strategies that allow you to generate synthetic data given um, expert domain experts or given a sample of the input data that you would like to uh, to to synthesize and uh, um, so i would start basically from the most naive one of all which is uh, having a schema this time uh, in terms of database schema, and uh, that simply gives you, uh, you know, an idea about the data type, if it's a string or a numeric, how many missing values are in a particular column, and therefore generate random data that, um, uh, you know, have the same schema, in fact. Uh, and so with a similar number of missing values in that column or uh, similar data types and stuff like that. So uh, this is the most... Uh, the, the simplest of all, of course, mm, it has its pros and cons as, as, everywhere, as everything. Well, one pro is that you can get this data, this synthetic data, quite immediately. Um, and uh, these are methods that have pretty much no um, uh, complexity in, in the way you generate these things. You can generate this in a matter of, in a fraction of a second, in fact. Um, and also, it's a very uh, controlled way to generate synthetic data, right? Because, you know, you, by knowing the schema, you know exactly what to generate. As a cons, of course, you have completely random data that might and usually uh, is very far from, uh, from, the real, uh, from the real stuff. And so testing your systems on synthetic data generating in, in a completely random fashion probably does not help you 100% on uh, you know testing you know on the it doesn't really give you an effective way of testing your software because or your model because the data is indeed very random and usually these are you know things that you use when 
you want to test that some APIs are working, some pipelining, some plumbing is there, uh, but not really machine learning models, not really semantics and not really prediction uh, related. Um, uh, well, testing. just to jump in on that, Francesco, sure. you know, I think you can often see bugs in the engineering pipeline that affect particular features or affect particular types of, of record. So one of the things I do think it is quite important to do is to test the um, machine learning model in an integrated fashion. Obviously not as many times as you test it when you're, you're calibrating it, um, but I do think it's really important to test end to end the, the results of the machine learning inferences and predictions. Yeah, I cannot agree more. I mean, this is extremely important. And honestly, I haven't seen this like as a standard practice, unfortunately, because indeed uh, what you say is exactly what should be done uh, when it comes to machine learning and engineering combination, uh, you know, these complex systems that in, in fact see uh, da data science and uh, data engineering um, in the same project. Um, the second uh, strategy when it comes to synthetic data is uh, via perturbation. This is another easy one, relatively easy, because it starts from not from a schema, but from the data uh, itself. And so if you have, for example, a bunch of rows somewhere in a, in a data frame, the way you generate a synthetic version of this data is by perturbing these records uh, with random noise or in a, one of the many directions or, or dimensions that these data are, are, are in. So one of the interesting things about, about this for me as a, a practitioner is how much data because we often work with these things in a black box context where there isn't a data scientist around and we simply have a deployed model or something running as a, a web service and one of the things we have to think about is how can we you know how can we know when we're done <laughs> and we can't perturb every possible permutation of the input data and we can't see the inner workings of the model so how do we generate the right input data to find the maximum amount of issues yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, uh, when I say controlled, I, I just mean that you know where you start from, but in fact, you don't know uh, where you end. And so it depends on the on the amount of this perturbation that you are applying, on the number of dimensions that you are considering, on the statistical properties of the input data as well, uh, to understand where that perturbed data or that version of perturbed data would end up. Um, and I hear you when you say it's... Um, uh, it's quite difficult to understand, you know, to keep these things under control. Now, when you where you draw the line, <laughs> in fact, I think that you draw the line in statistical terms because if I'm perturbing data with a as, with a statistical engine or with statistical perturbation, statistically is the only type of measure that I can apply, and and therefore I can measure quality. I'm not sure if this is a statistical t technique, but I think combinatorial testing, when combined with both measuring the test coverage of neural networks and measuring um, the optimum perturbations is a really interesting topic. In terms of combinatorial testing, what I mean by that from uh, an internal perspective is I mean activating each possible combination of, of, of function um, together. I guess when I, when I think about this, if I, say if I'm testing a website, right? Um, uh, I can test each field in isolation. If I test each pair of values across two arbitrary fields, my test coverage increases hugely. And statistically, that's actually the op generally the optimum technique for, for data-driven systems. I can apply those concepts to activation functions instead of variables in a front end. 
and I can also apply those principles to um, perturbing input data. I mean, I guess people think about images, but if you think about input data here as a series of, uh, of features, um, I guess ones and zeros, right? If I want to try um, combinations of different inputs, I should be able to statistically come up with the, the optimum range, right? Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Continuing the conversation on synthetic data um, for testing, uh, there is a third and last uh, strategy or well methodology, which is uh, synthetic data generation via GANs or generative adversarial networks, which is a relatively fancy way of uh, uh, you know training a, a neural network in fact or, a, or a, a pair of neural networks to generate data that really look like the uh, the original uh, the original one. And we have seen this um, a number of times with uh, um, deep face, uh, which is a way to generate synthetic uh, faces. <laughs> uh, and uh, in fact, it's you know in, in computer vision that's a thing. You know that's something that will, works extremely well. I mean, it's uh, uh, almost impossible to distinguish a synthetic face from from a from a real one. Um, and so the idea there is to apply uh, very similar techniques to numeric data or electronic medical records or, of course, images and many other data types because, you know, uh, if you can replicate uh, records that have the same statistical properties but are completely synthetic, well, that means that uh, you have an infinite amount of data at your disposal for testing. Uh, Adam, have you seen this happening in the real world? Yes and no. So um, this person does not exist.com. Any tester who is working with things like uh, any system that requires pictures of, of people uh, is probably using that to grab test data without having to worry about GDPR. So testers are using GANs even if they don't know what they are. Um, but the way you just described it there in terms of using a GAN on a structured data set is really interesting. I've never thought about that before or heard of anyone doing that. I think that's really interesting. There are also some, of course, privacy and confidentiality issues that apparently are immediately solved when it comes to synthetic data due to the fact that by law in certain jurisdictions, but I'm not a, a, an illegal expert at all, uh, but apparently uh, there should be a, some sort of GDPR free on uh, uh, you know there there should no longer be any GDPR constraint on the on the data that you generate in that in that uh, in that way. Uh, can you confirm that? I'm not a lawyer, um, <laughs> but it isn't the data. So as long as people can't be identified from it, and that date would data would pass any anonymization tests, I, I don't think it is personal data. Um, so I would imagine it would fall out of scope of of data privacy. But I imagine there are some buts around that. All right, all this makes sense. Adam, is there anything else that you would like to add? Am I f missing something on uh, synthetic data field? No, I don't think so. <laughs> all right, well then I think that um, uh, this episode is uh, uh, pretty complete and uh, I'm uh, sure that next time we're gonna speak about other testing techniques. We'll be back soon. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Francesco. Thanks for having me. Did you know that on September 15th, there will be a live at Manning Rust conference? In one Rust full day, you will attend many talks about what's special about Rust, building high-performance web services or video games, about WebAssembly and much more. I already want to be there. But there were. No need to travel. The event is going to be online, of course. If you want to meet the tribe, 
tune in September 15th to the Live at Manning Rust conference. I have added a link to register completely free of charge in the show notes of this episode. I'll see you there. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.